Feed Ontario has released its annual hunger report, and I don't think I have to point out the steep trajectory in the number of people accessing food banks. At the same time, people's ability to give has declined. On the show today are Carolyn Stewart, who is CEO of Feed Ontario, and Christine Clark LaFleur from Port Cares and part of Feed Niagara. Hi, Carolyn, and hi, Christine. Thanks for coming on today and um, talking about food insecurity and food banks, which is a topic that should be top of mind and for many people is top of mind, especially at this time of year. Carolyn, you're from Feed Ontario. You're the CEO of Feed Ontario. Talk a bit about what Feed Ontario is um, and then the hunger report that you just released, which has some pretty startling numbers in it. Yeah, so Feed Ontario is the provincial representative for food banks here in the province. Um, We serve a network of over 140 direct member food banks and 1,100 affiliated hunger relief agencies. So that's anything from a community kitchen, a shelter, a meal program, a snack program, a food bank, obviously, and anything that provides emergency food support to someone in need. Um, Our goal is to kind of focus on three key areas, advocacy and research on the key issues of food insecurity, providing food resources and support um, to food banks and food security agencies, as well as education, training and best practices to continue um, to support food banks to service their communities. And so um, when it comes to research and advocacy, our primary report that gets released is the hunger report every year. And unfortunately, the 2023 hunger report has revealed um, that we have reached a crisis. So um, we have seen just over 800,000 people access food banks almost 6 million times in the last year. That is an almost 40% increase since last year, the largest single increase on record, and our seventh consecutive year of increases at food banks. Um, for, for us, what's more is that over 70% of our organizations that we support have also indicated that they're concerned about meeting the need in their community that demand for food banks and food security support is far outpacing capacity of our network, um, which should be of concern to everybody. Give me just, um, if we go back and we look at numbers, we've been talking about a food crisis year after year after year. And where we are now in the trajectory from 2016 is, I don't even know, is there a word that's multiple times worse than crisis. I mean, we need something that really describes it more than a crisis because it's so beyond that. So if we look at the trajectory, let's say uh, you know, just pre-pandemic to now, what kind of increase in numbers are we looking at? Because you might've thought it would go down after the pandemic. Yeah, I think sometimes people have a false impression about what it looked like before the pandemic. So we were not in a good situation before the pandemic even started when it came to food bank use. You know, we were on that upward trajectory since actually the 2008 recession. Um, We have been slowly upticking, but year over year for the last seven years, we've seen exponential growth. And unfortunately, what the pandemic really did is just compacted existing issues. So the housing unaffordability issues were there. Um, You know, cost of living unaffordability was also there. Employment changes and dismantling of social systems, those all existed pre-pandemic. But um, with the effects of the pandemic and closures and changes and everything that we've experienced um, since, since 2020, 
Um, you know, people who potentially had savings and lost their job, they burned through their savings. They borrowed from their friends. They borrowed from creditors. Um, you know, they've made ends meet by, you know, choosing which bill to pay. And now here we are on the other side of it where people are starting to fall off that poverty cliff, unfortunately. And so there is there is no safety net anymore. Um, that's the problem. And so the holes have gotten so big in our social safety net that people are falling through. And the numbers are getting so, so large that temporary emergency social services like food banks cannot fill the gaps left by 30 and 40 years of dismantling of social systems. Christine, you are executive director of Port Cares in Niagara. You're also on the board of directors at Feed Ontario. But you were significantly involved in Feed on, uh, sorry, Feed Niagara, which I think was sort of formed and launched early last year. And how do these numbers translate locally? Because now you've got your network, you really can share the numbers that all of the food banks are seeing. I, I think there's 10 in Niagara. So how are these provincial wide numbers translating locally in Niagara? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because Niagara as a whole is is, is the sum of, of various parts. You know, we are seeing the same trends, but we are seeing the same trends from right across Ontario. But there's exacerbation. There's more significant issues in the smaller, more rural communities because the line of sight on on people who are struggling with with with, with poverty is not as visible as what it is in the urban centers. You know, in the case of Port Colburn, um, you know, in my time here as chief executive officer, I've watched the progression. Port Colburn has always been a lower uh, economy. There's less education. There's 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 less um, high, there's fewer high paying jobs. And when you when you put that into the mix with with the with the uh, in, ever increasing uh, need for the the food bank, it all makes sense. The the local economies are are. Are, are very reflective of, of the food bank use. So we've seen in Port Colburn numbers increase at the same pace as Ontario. I don't think it's certainly not that um, um, obvious in, in some of the more affluent communities in the, in the region, such as Grimsby, Pelham, Niagara on the lake. So it's, it, it's, it, there's, a, there's disparity right across the entire region and there's disparity right across the province. You mentioned around, you know, the, you know, what other word do we find in, you know, with respect to crisis? I think the word that comes to mind for me right now is being sort of on the policy side and on the provider side is, is, is the insidious apathy. There's a, a tremendous amount of apathy and you kind of get it when people are stretching their, you know, household budgets because of inflation, you know, they have less to give and they're experiencing their own struggles, but, you know, Going into 2024, one of my greatest concerns, the thing that keeps me up at night is the apathy. We tell this story and we tell this story. We've been telling this story since 1986 when food banks emerged as a quick fix, temporary, temporary you know, um, idea to uh, a blip in the economy. And now we're bigger than ever before and there's no going back. And if we think we've seen the worst of it through 2023, we thought we saw the worst of it in 2020, 2021, into 2022. But I would say 2023 has been the greatest year of hardship, and it's only going to get more difficult going into the next two years. 
We are not going to turn around the the uh, housing affordability crisis, not in this economy. And we're going to see more of a gap between the haves and the have-nots. We need the haves to help us out. We need government to step up at all levels because, you know, there's going to be a whole generation of kids who come up through low-income experiences that are not going to have the opportunity. Uh, they're not going to have any resiliency. And that's why we have to think beyond just food. You mentioned kids and and one of the things that always um, uh, strikes me, and, and this is across many discussions and, and housing, for example, um, uh, immigrants, new, newcomers to, to Canada, kids, it's not just about not having enough food. It's about going to school and it's about stigma and the fear they have that their friends yeah. might find out that uh, that their you know their mom or dad is having to get food from a food bank. They don't want to invite kids back to their house because they can't provide you know the pops and the popcorn while they're there to to watch a movie. So it goes much so much further than that. And when we sort of extrapolate to in children back to adults, another number, and you kind of allude to this, Christine, another another number, um, Carolyn, that was is surprising is the number of people who identify as working. So people who have jobs who are now uh, going to food banks, not every day, but are accessing a food bank. And for some of these people, when you think of housing, you know, couch surfing may become the new the new word in a, the dictionary next week, next year for, you know, the Oxford Dictionary or Merriam-Webster, the number of people who have work and are living couch to couch at their friends and then end up in their car. Yep. yep. And, you know, that's the case of Port Colburn. I mean, since I joined as CEO nine years ago, uh, you know, the, the lenses that we have on poverty are not clear lenses. And, and there's nowhere where you can actually get a look at, at the, you know, how marginalized people are. And a lot of them are youth and, and uh, you know, you don't see them, they're invisible. And, and really it, it's, you know, when we look at, at um, you know, sort of turning uh, the tide in, in poverty relief and, and, and to find sustainable solutions, we really do need to look at childhood resiliency you know, specialized food programs, Port Cares, since the beginning of my term here, we've run a brown bag lunch program for school-aged kids to overcome the stigma, to overcome the stigma of being that kid who doesn't have food or, you know, you know, has stuff that nobody else would eat. So it's one of our most important programs built on the principle of serving the most vulnerable. You know, childhood resiliency has to be part of the formula if we ever want to break the chains of what we're seeing in, in poverty relief right now. And I would add to just Sorry, go regards, ahead, Carolyn. No, I was just going to say with regards to the work problem, like, you know, we've also seen a change for some reason we use unemployment as our indicator of, of, of quality employment, but that just tells us the rate of employment it doesn't tell us anything about the quality of jobs, the supports that they get, the benefits, the wages um, that that people are receiving, and that's why we're seeing such a growth 
in workers at food banks, you know, a 37% increase year over year, they are fastest rising group of food bank users in Ontario. Um, you know, even if you look at Ontario broadly over the last, you know, couple of decades, there's been a decrease in manufacturing here in the province. So the, a lot of closures from that side, a growth in the gig economy and gig work, part-time contract work, who aren't covered by the Employment Standards Act. So they don't get paid sick days, they don't get guaranteed wages, they don't have benefits. And all of these, you know, all of these things play into quality of work, being having that resiliency that Christine is talking about to changes, economic changes. Um, and so while we see our greater labor force working two or three jobs to make ends meet, they're also excluded from federal programs like EI. So if you're working three, three jobs, only one job, but only one's, you know, hourly and falls under the EI and you're paying into EI, only those hours contribute to it. So you don't qualify. So all of these programs that you're paying into that are meant to support um, workers are actually excluding so many of Ontario's workers, you know, one in 10 workers in Ontario is now a gig worker. So as the shift in employment happens, it's also impacting people's resiliency, people's incomes and wages keeping up. And so all of this is impacting people being able to afford their most basic necessities. And that's why we have to start tracking things, as Christina says, broadly um, through many different lenses um, like that transect into making sure we have supports on many different sides, because there are a lot of changes that can be made um, to to labor um, that can definitely improve um, a worker situation so that they don't have to be turning to food banks. Yeah, living wage is one of those things, um, which uh, is, is, again, it's such a difficult uh, area for businesses because for many businesses, and Christine knows from, from down here, um, Carolyn, I don't know if you know the, the you know, central economy in Niagara, but we're largely tourism based now, tourism and retail based, um, as opposed to manufacturing, which is where we used to be. Yeah. Uh, it's, it can be a, it can be a stretch for some of these businesses to think about a living wage, but I'm, I'm seeing more of that down here and I'm hearing more about living wage in, in Niagara, but you also have to identify area to area or city to city, what a living wage is. And do we have to spend some more time focusing on something like a living wage to help ease the use of food banks? Is that something that you see, Christine? It's, it's a whole constellation. It's a whole constellation. Uh, you know, living wage is, is sort of a means that gets you to the end to pay for your rent. So, you know, you have to travel, hopefully, you know, fewer times to the food bank. But, you know, it's, it's, it's also elevating the entire economy. Uh, you know, I mean, we should have been in front of this 25 years ago. We've been dinosaurs when it comes to our policy development and our social service uh, vision. You know, we're talking about now building millions of houses, you know, millions of houses. Well, you know, it's not going to happen. Interest rates alone are, are, are shutting that part of the sector down. But we have to look at a lifelong generational span. Maybe it won't be this generation that has the resiliency and the opportunity. It may be the next because we have to look at more opportunities for youth and training, you know, jobs that are going to contribute 
to economy and provide the autonomy and the independence for those workers so they can not only survive, they can thrive. I mean, you know, when we look to the fallout from the conditions of poverty, you only need to look to addiction, mental health, family chaos, you know, uh, all of the, you know, low literacy. It, it is it, 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 is a, it is a dialogue that we talk about in a very segmented fashion. We talk about the others. This is all about the others. And, you know, even in the sector in which I work, I had to just lay it right out there in front of people who should know better that the others are not the others. They are we. They are we. And we have to start embracing that concept because, you know, it has to be a, a multidimensional you know, well-invested approach if you ever want to change it for the next generation. You know, food banks should only be one piece of the response. And the goal should be to shift the dependence away from food banks, not to grow it, you know, not to provide more innovative programming, but to shift it away because people and families can stand on their own because we've set them up to grow and thrive, not just survive. And, and you know, it, you know, it sounds pretty simple. It, it really does sound pretty simple, but I mean, I'm not sure what it's going to take. It usually takes the real crisis, you know, before the, the insight is there. And we cannot... We can no longer, as a province, as a nation, as local communities, segregate and ostracize people who can't put food on their plate. We are they. And I think that's, uh, that's a concept that, you know, it has got to you know, ring loud and clear if we're ever going to find our way out of this in this society. Yeah, I I um, have always have at for a number of years had in my head, and I can think of myself in this way. I sort of, you know, I say, well, I'm one paycheck away from living in my car, and we're seeing that, right? And so I understand what you're saying about absolutely, you know, maybe we need to go. Maybe the food banks aren't the center. Maybe job creation is the center, which then you know starts to spread out to to. Uh, home prices and, and food bank need and so on. So Carolyn, what is the immediate action that we need from governments? And even if I'm not saying long-term planning, what do we need now today? Yeah, I think um, we, what's important for us to emphasize, kind of echoing what Christine said, this is not on the shoulders of a single person, a single organization or a single government. Um, there will not be change on this issue without collective will from all levels. So that's community organizations, local, regional, you know, um, local, regional, provincial and federal governments. Our focus, because we're at the provincial level, is for the provincial government. So um Obviously, firstly, improvements to social assistance. So aligning the rates and benefits with even just cost of living right now, they put people at minimum 50% below the poverty line. So it's a government created poverty line and it is legislating people into poverty through their programs. And so without um, updating those, modernizing the rules to ensure that resiliency in people and improving access to support, that program ultimately becomes a bit moot without it being effective. Um, obviously, um, investing in affordable housing, so strengthening the laws to protect tenants and creating more 
access to affordable housing. Um, the Ontario Nonprofit Association Housing Associations actually created an incredible costed plan. Um, so we support um, what's been outlined in their in their plan. And finally, I think really focusing on what we've been talking about which is building a stronger workforce. We can improve labor laws that benefit workers. So even something as simple as a paid sick day, allowing people to have paid sick days or equal pay for equal work. Those are things that um, really can make a drastic change, um, allowing more low-income workers to keep more of their income and also enhancing those pro workers to pro programs like WSIB and EI. Um, are huge programs that right now only actually 25% of Ontarians are accessing them who should be like, so think about it, 25% of workers can only access EI. What about all those other 75% that are paying into it? It's because of the rules and the regulations and the bureaucracy that that program that's meant to help people transition during times of um, out of employment um, is not being effective. So that program can really make drastic change. And even something as something as simple as well as classifying gig workers as employees under the Employment Standards Act. What a concept. Um, what a concept, huh? So they can give they they're given protections against things like wage theft, you know, which is a huge, a huge issue right now. Um, and and finally, you know, reducing barriers to unionization. Unions um protect workers and they're there for a reason. And so all of those things are, you know, tangible steps forward. They're not gonna drastically reduce poverty overnight, but they can make um a tangible difference and start to make a dent and turn that tide. Um, that we're seeing. We are into the holiday food drive, Christine. Um, December is always a big time of giving because people have giving more on their mind and barrels are out and all of these things are happening. But food, the need for food does not stop on December 31st. And we we need to start as, as a society, and, and again, we're in Niagara, to look at these food drives, unfortunately, unfortunately, we need that kind of level of, of thought and giving 12 months a year. So on January 1st, you got to have that mindset. Absolutely. And it, it's, you know, I mean, and again, because of the times, I mean, it, it, it's a delicate dance. I mean, not only are we seeing, um, you know, a surge in people who need the help, we're seeing a significant decline in, in the average family's ability to give. We have people who were donors who are now clients of the food bank. That's a common thing, you know, I mean, and, and so that's, you know, that, you know, that perfect storm between the rise in need and the decline in resource is very real. Um, you know, there is a threshold for the capacity to give. Um, but I think that, you know, people in their hearts, if, if, they've, if they've got the ability to give a little, it helps a lot. You know, we really want to, again, sh uh, this is always my challenge is that I don't want to normalize this, this, this sort of hamster on the wheel, right? I don't want to normalize the, that you've got to give it to the food bank. You know, we've got to push on those longer term creative solutions. Here at Fort Cares, we've worked really hard to um towards sustainability so that we have resources that we can we can we can have our own autonomy not unlike what we wish for our clients thank you both for coming on and talking about this i mean i'm i'm sorry that we have to keep 
having this conversation. Uh, people who need uh, would like to have more information about the province-wide initiatives and what we're seeing province-wide, please go to feedontario.ca. Locally, you can find information about what's happening here, but also importantly, you can find the locations of food banks in Niagara by going to feedniagara.ca.